Hey, it's Freddy Cruz once again digging into the archives and going back to February of last year in a conversation I have with Taylor Cobion. He and I connected on Facebook. He shared his story of his mother, who was brutally murdered when he was only two years old. And while the conversation does get heavy, Taylor stresses the importance of human trafficking survivors being able to share their stories with the world. He's overcome his own trauma as well, and it's something we discussed during this episode. Taylor himself is an entrepreneur, and he's a part of Hands of Justice, an organization right here in the Houston area dedicated to serving survivors of human trafficking. Learn more at handsofjustice.org. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell your chico pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. Taylor, let's begin with a story that got us connected on Facebook. So you actually reached out to me on Facebook, I believe, after I, I posted a little bit about my mom. And it was shortly after our, it was right after our Christmas party that we had for Hands of Justice. I took a picture and uh, posted about it and, and a little bit about why I got involved with the group Hands of Justice. Yeah. And looking looking at the picture of your mom, it was it was striking to me because I saw somebody who could easily have been in one of my classes in school. In fact, that was that was one of the things that that struck me about the photo of her. And God bless you. And you know, we've we've gone through this. I'm, I'm incredibly sorry for what has happened with your family. Um, and yet, at the same time, you have managed to. I don't know if turn a, turn a, turn things around is the right way to say it. You are using you're using her story to really make some change and get something positive out of the out of this horrible experience. You know, I'll, I get apologized to a lot. You know, I, I, I'm sorry that that happened. Um, I don't want to take away from, from what had happened and the, the seriousness of the events that have occurred, but it's you, I feel like you have to reach this moment and recovery over traumatic events that, you know, it is what it is, you know, this happened and it's helping to shape me. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like what they say. It's only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And by, I, I'm truly, truly hoping to be able to not just use the story about what happened to my mom, my family, myself, but to also help her be remembered. She was taken when, in my opinion, you know, when she was far too young. And a lot of people would say that everyone's taken at the time that they were supposed to. So there's also that. But I don't want her to be forgotten. And I want her to have and continue to serve a purpose on this earth. Yeah, and something you wrote about your mom in the original in the in the original Facebook post that I read about you and your family. Your grandfather was involved, and and uh, Montgomery County authorities, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that you wrote that really stuck out with me was at least you didn't know her and don't have memories of her. And this is something that people tend to tell you because she died and you were 
just a toddler, man. Why are they wrong? It's, there's multiple perspectives in life, you know, and it's one of those that you gotta, you gotta look at things from all sides. And, and I struggled with this for a long time, when, especially when I was a kid. You know, it's, is it better because I didn't know her it, or is it not? I, I don't have a memory of my mom and, and you have a memory of yours. You know, so I envy, I, I envied kids. I envied people that had a mom. I envied people that even had a mom that lost their mom because I wish I knew my mom. I wish I, even if it was a bad memory, I wish I had it. I don't even have a memory of what she looks like. The very first time that I actually got to see anything other than, hey, here's some pictures from that we we took on a Polaroid from from high school, and or here's a, her school picture. It it was that moment, you know. It was looking at, well, this is your mom's body, and that was the first. I'm an adult, or this is this is a memory that I go back to a lot, even still today. It's that. Outside of being shown pictures of my mom, that that was it. It's like, oh crap! Since I could start having memories, this is my memory. So I envy that. I still miss her, as crazy as that sounds, and I don't know the psychology behind that, but I do still miss her, and I long for her. I long for a memory to miss because I'm confused on the fact of why, why do I miss her, and but I do. And there is a lot of uncertainty because she was, it was a, she was a cold case for for quite some time, and yeah. so there was the thing where you would look at women wondering whether or not that was that was her. Yeah, when I was a uh, so when I when I was a kid, I, I slept with my grandpa for an, for what would be considered an unusual amount of, of time for a kid because I was, I was very scared. There was a lot of, there was a lot of psychology and trauma behind all that. But I remember praying, uh, for my mom. I remember asking for Christmas, you know, for, you know, please Santa, just deliver me my mom. Uh, when I would see blonde women that were somewhat shapely, like the pictures that I saw of my mom, I would think, Oh, is that her? Is that her? You know, just looking around and then once uh, computer lit in high school, not, not junior high, where you had some freedom and you could actually get on the internet, that was a class that my grades started to go down in because I started, I was like, holy crap, I can get on the internet. We didn't have a computer at home. Mm. I had a computer there. I was like, oh crap. What mm. happens if I type in my mom's name? I can search, <gasps> I can search for her. And so I spent a lot of that time on the internet, I was like, oh, she kind of looks like my mom. Oh, she kind of looks, you know, there's a lot of that. And, and that definitely dives into why people are wrong. Well, at least you don't have a memory of her. Man, I sure did try. I, and, I, and when you're wondering if someone's out there, that's a, there's closure whether you, when you know that they're alive or they're dead. And not knowing that, you try to cling to the hope and the, the glass, the glass is half full side for as long as you can. And it seems like the, the uncertainty and the, the sadness and the grief and the trauma only gets worse when you're getting in trouble for your grades. Well, Taylor, why are your grades going down? 
because I was on the computer. Well, why were you on the computer when you should have been focusing on division? And it's like, so what are you doing? And then you have to relive it. Yeah, you do have to relive it. You got to go back and forth. And it's, it is what, again, it is, it is what it is. You, you, you try to, you try to balance everything, but a lot of times you can't. And it's especially hard for a kid. And I think the, the more for all the, for all the flaws of, of modern society and technology and whatnot, one of the, the greatest gifts is that of information. And you could argue back and forth with whoever you want about whether or not we have too much. But one of the things that I love is that we're learning a lot about human, the human mind. And so it's particularly troubling and sad to know that these things that, that these things were happening to you, that you were getting in trouble or that your grades were slipping. And I don't know what your situation was like with school, like how bad you were getting in trouble because of your grades or was it, Oh, well, you know, this is what Taylor's going through. But as a little boy that you're growing up with this kind of stuff, uh, with this kind of burden that you just want to know, where is your mom? Where is she? Is this lady, my mom? And it's a lot to take in. Yeah, it is. And in high school, as far as grades go, our, our school and conduct, it was, it was quite a bit easier. And in elementary school, it was a lot more pressing and a lot more difficult because my grades were actually extremely well. They were, they were outstanding. Uh, but my conduct was always, I think it was back then it was a U for unsatisfactory. Mm, yeah. Because... I, I looked at things as I get this, I get this done. I get to do other things. You know, when you're a kid and you're trying to stay and run away from your own mind, you're trying to, you, you can either sit and bask in it. And at that point you shut down mm-hmm. or you can run away from it as far and as fast as possible. And that, that was the route that I took. And I was, I, I can't sit still. I can't do these things, you know, which got mistaken for ADHD. And I got in quite a bit of trouble and so much so that they were like, okay, you've got ADHD. And back then this was kind of like the exploratory phase of that. Um, therapy also didn't necessarily help all too much. So the school said we, we need him to go through therapy. And at that point, and I don't actually think you know this, but I ended up going into a, uh, I got placed into a mental evaluation clinic to try to, okay, let's, let's see where Taylor's trauma is at. Let's also check for ADHD. Let's put them on different medications and so on and so forth. So dealing as a kid and it all starting with school and the trouble getting into school led to this event and then going through the clinical evaluations of my, of my mind and my psychological state led to me actually being sexually abused during that process. Hmm. And so while I was undergoing that, you know, I was for two weeks, I was paired with um, what was still at that time considered a boy, but he was, you know, almost twice my age. You know, it was a big age gap. You know, he was, he was 15 and quite a bit larger. And I, I got taken advantage of, I did try to speak up, but it was a very, very unfortunate situation. And unfortunately that didn't go over the way that, uh, 
that we would have liked it to. It, it was a bit of a failure in the system, I, I would say. So coming out of that, then going, getting back into school, instead of reevaluating at that point, hey, where's Taylor at now? We went ahead and made a decision for Taylor. We're going to place him in special needs. And so at that point, I was in special education. I was designated mentally retarded. And I went from uh, what was at that time history. It was Texas history and went from doing math to getting graded for catching bugs. And your goal was, and you, you wanted to get 100 or the best grade that you could for going out and, and catching a butterfly or going out and catching any type of bug that you could catch. And that was a huge shock, uh, a big, big shock. So that was the first time that... Mentally, due to the school, due to everything that was happening in school, due to my conduct, due to the trouble that I was getting into, I started to shut down. And I was on so many meds at that point as well that it was very difficult to have a developed sense of self. And let's back up a bit. You talk about Texas history, and if I'm not mistaken, unless things have changed and I'm way older than you, uh, Texas history is, I was in seventh grade. So is that about the right age for you or were you younger? It uh, was fourth grade. Fourth, oh, wow. Fourth grade. Oh, mm-hmm. I was way off. So fourth grade. Oh God. So much to unpack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're deemed mentally retarded this after good grades, doing great in school. And it's simply only your behavior. And I'm, going to assume that nobody knew your situation. They did know my situation to my knowledge. I just don't think that they knew what to do with me. Mm. And my, my grandparents, you know, and so, and also, you know, my, my grandparents had their own stuff to do. My grandma has uh, manic bipolar disorder and severe depression. My grandpa was floating all the bills and so on and so forth. So them coming in everything, they were, really trying to trust the system, which a lot of parents do. And they were doing the best of their ability at the time. And they were following what the teachers were recommending. And that's where it ended up. So it was more of a challenge in elementary school as far as getting, getting, just getting you through the system and getting you to high school and then out. So can you talk about the turnaround with, you know, because there are a number of kids who go through traumatic experiences and don't make it out yet, you know, they quite literally don't make it out. Like they end up on the street and dead or end up addicts or criminals. Yet here we are, and we are definitely going to get to hands of justice, but the two of you, the two of us are, are speaking and you're an entrepreneur you've managed to turn this into something that you can uh, use to help others who have, who were in your mother's situation, but by the grace of God managed to survive. So can we talk about the moment when you were able to turn things around when your, when your grandpa was able to get help or how that all worked out? In the school system, it was when we moved uh, when we when we moved from Spring out to Montgomery. So when you move and you switch school systems, they at least for me, they they wanted to have you test. And so I retested. I, I tested at the school that I was at, and I actually tested with flying colors. And going immediately, and this was in seventh grade, I went immediately from special ed to 
AP and honors classes. Mm. Wow. And that's where I had tested. So there was a big gap. Well, hey, he doesn't need to be in special ed. Okay, well, we have a, so why, why did this happen in the first place? Yeah. And that's when things in the school system started to change. Then I started to get into a behavioral. So let's monitor his behavior, sure, but let's put him in AP and honors classes because he's doing really well. I even instantly coming in got uh, designated to take a preset. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what that is. This is a big and this change. is still seventh grade? Yeah. A preset? Yeah, it was real interesting because I didn't know anything about it. And um, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants at that point. And I was yeah. focusing on a lot of other struggles. <laughs> so For obvious reasons, yeah. So it, it was real interesting how that turned around. And um, my, my behavior got a lot better. And at that point, and I'm not saying it, life was still very unsure in my own mind, but I definitely turned things around for, for quite a while. I will say that the, as we were talking about that, he was explaining the equipment to us talking about peaks and valleys. And so life is like peaks and valleys. So it got really good. And I started to really find more of a secure point of self, uh, up until the day that they came to the door and they had found uh, announcing some of the mistakes that had been made and that they had found my mom's body. So it get, and this as much as life, you have moments where things get better and moments where things get worse, where for me, at least when undergoing trauma, you think you kind of got, got everything figured out, Yeah. but sometimes you don't. So don't get overconfident in how much you actually have figured out. And that's a, it's an unfortunate juxtaposition because you talk about things getting back on track, doing really good as a little boy in school. And then all of a sudden it happens and you get that closure that so many people want, yet you want it. And it's almost like, be careful what you're asking for because you're going to get it. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely, whenever they came to the door and I figured all that out, I definitely spiraled. Um, I didn't, it was the first time since I could remember probably the first time since after being raped that I shut down and I shut down hard. I, I fell into a deep hole. It's, uh, I definitely started to give up. That was a big give up moment in my Mm -hmm. life. I've had two of those and that was, that was one of them. And you definitely, when you give up, on life and you give into it and you fall into this dark hole, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You have to fight your way out of that. I definitely made mistakes. My behavior did start to suffer. You know, I was engaged at the time and because I, at that time I was very unwilling to also talk and admit, Hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fell back into this sense of trauma and, and there's another reason there's reasoning behind that too, which we'll, I, we'll dive more into depth on as we get more into the hands of justice involvement and the men's support group and things like that. But it's when you try to talk to people about these things, it's not something that the average person, especially when you're a kid or even when you're 17 or 18, the average person doesn't necessarily know how to handle communicating about that. Yeah. And 
So I definitely made mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I, I don't want this to come across as, Hey, Taylor, eh, you know, could, I could have ended up in a much, many, many, many worse places, but I definitely made my fair share of mistakes. I definitely had my instances of bad behavior. There were things that I did that weren't necessarily on the up and up as far as what people would consider to be, Oh, wow. You're such a well put together person and you're an outstanding member to the community. That was far from my mind at the time I was trying to live in my head. And for me, that was a very scary place. I've, I'm doing some good things now and I'm very grateful for that, but I will never stop pursuing to do better. And I'd like to know what helped you, what helped you because, you know, we're, we're all, we're all flawlessly flawed individuals. So flawed, all of us. And you didn't ask for any of this and your mom did not ask for any of this. So there has to be an element of grace that you give yourself, right? Yet acknowledging, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm no angel. Um, but what was, what, what was the one thing, the one, the several things, the one person, like, how did you, how were you able to not let it get to where it was so bad that you wanted to no longer be on this planet or that someone or something helped you realize that I don't, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to turn to this world in, in a fit of revenge. So for me, and many people have their own, there what there, there were two times you said something that, that sparked something. So I, if, do you mind if I backtrack real quick? Let's backtrack. So I did try to take my life when I was a kid after I had after I was raped. And there, there, there's a whole lot to unpack there, far more than we have within our time frame. And I didn't want to take the medication because I didn't feel like I needed it. I felt like there, there, I, I told, I even told my grandparents, I don't want to take this. And there was a big disagreement upon that. I said, it's, it, it's not me. And I, I don't know who I am when I'm with it. And I didn't know who I was without it, but I definitely didn't know who I was with it. So because of that altercation there, I decided I'm going to take all these pills. I'm going to take all, fine, you want me to take the pills? I'll take them all. Mm. And so I did. And I was, I was very lucky to be alive. Um, I, I woke up in the hospital several, several days later. I was in a coma for a little bit. I was paralyzed from the neck down. I could barely move my mouth to talk. And I, you know, remember this moment, just like in Kill Bill, when she's sitting there, like, move your damn big toe. I was sitting there trying to move my damn big toe as a kid. So that's definitely not the route to take. You don't, and I'm very blessed that what I did did not work. It was close, but it didn't work. And I'm very blessed that it did not. And I will never take that route again. And then later, I had a for me to overcome everything, I fell into, it took me hitting a rock bottom point. And I was around people that were not the best. It wasn't the people that I was around that helped me out. I was around people that were only making my situation worse. And 
I had to self-recognize when to pull myself out of that. And then I was like, okay, now I have to deal with the consequences of giving up and falling into this dark space. And so I dealt with those. And I even lived out of my car for a while. And this is all before I got my, my, I don't know, I don't know what I'm allowed to say here. It's all before I got my stuff together. Mm. And my instinct would have said another word. And that's okay. (laughs) Okay. Good. Yeah. So I'm living out of my car and I thought, okay, well, I, how do I build myself out of the situation? I sure have dug a hole for myself. All right. This is what I do. So I started, I was a trainer. Uh, I pulled myself out of college and got a training certification. So I thought, okay, I need a nine to five. I need security. So then I, I started to fight my way out of that hole myself. And one of the big, big instances that filled my heart with joy and hope was when I had my first, you know, four, six hundred, four hundred dollars saved up. I took that four hundred dollars and I spent it on I don't know why, but I did. I just wanted to I guess live through other people's happiness for a moment. So it was Easter and I spent all that four hundred dollars on an Easter event. And I had uh, some somebody get a bunny outfit and you know, I was talking to you because I was training. I had a nine to five job and then I was training again. So I was saving my money and I was building everything up so I could have a roof over my head outside of the car roof. And that moment, there were hundreds of little kids that were so freaking happy. They were so happy. And there was this click inside of me right then. Was like, That's what I miss. I haven't felt this in a long time. I haven't felt this sense of joy and purpose and fulfillment in a very, very long time. And then I just kept moving further and further forward, harder and harder, harder, pushing, pushing, pushing. A bunch of smiling kids will do that. (laughs) Yeah. So you've got your purpose now and... Let's talk about Hands of Justice. We are inside the facility before we hit record, and as we're getting to really know each other, Taylor, um, you're talking about how the building was not what it what it it wasn't what it was now. And so, let's talk about the start of the organization, your relationship with Becca. Uh, she is the founder, and all the things that you and her and the team are doing for survivors and overcomers. Right. Yes. So the, no, the building did not look like this whenever we, we first, and this is building is a very big blessing, by the way, this was a a big goal. And it seems like we're, the community is really coming behind our organization. And that is very, very much appreciated. And Becca is our founder. She's a survivor herself, and she has a wonderful story and a wonderful testimony. And she has so much on her shoulders, and she'll be the first to say, it's not me, it's all of you that do this and that make this happen. And I like the the phrase, look, you threw the stone, we're the ripples. And let's see these ripples continue to foster. You and Becca and the team are steeped in this world because you're helping survivors and overcomers. How much improvement have you, have you seen with regards to mitigating the amount of people that are trafficked? 
So let's let, let's put Hands of Justice's role in this into that into that answer. Yeah, we are less about preventing. We want to raise awareness to help prevent. We want to educate to help prevent. We yep. we do those things. Yep. All, but we are more focused on the economic empowerment and the life after trafficking. And that is where we really shine and we set ourselves apart from a lot of other organizations because a lot of people think, oh, great, they're out of trafficking and it's all sunshine and then it stops there. But when you have been unacclimated to life, real life, yeah, for day-to-day, successful, efficient life, it's not that easy just to jump back in, especially if you don't have an ID. You, you don't know how to go out into a public scene. You don't know how to communicate. You don't trust men. You don't trust anybody. You don't know yourself. You're suffering from PTSD. You're suffering from tremors, uh, intense migraines, things like that, that come from these scenarios. Those are things that a lot of people don't think about. So that's where we really separate ourselves from economic empowerment to helping people get back and get their GED, get a job, uh, helping to teach them the interview process. We have a lot of support groups, not just here throughout Texas, but all over the country where we, like I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to talk about these things to everyday people. Yeah. A lot of people would run away from it or look at you differently and not want to be around you. So to have groups like that where you can refine yourself, that's all, that's very, very important. We've noticed a lot of success there and helping people and helping overcomers, people that were once victims and will forever have been a victim of, but now they're an overcomer. We're helping get them to that overcomer spot. And I want to build on, on what you're talking about, because this cannot be understated. The fact that just because you're out of, just because you were saved from a villain who's got you locked up in a cage or in, in even worse conditions, because a cage, I'm, I'm sure, to some victims would be a luxury compared to some of the conditions that these people are found in. So let's expand on what we can do to overcome this proclivity to avoid the tough discussions, the tough conversations with people who are survivors and overcomers and, and just how can we, how can we do better? So it, it's like this with many traumatic events that people go through. A lot of times when people bring up something it's that's negative, uh, people's instinct is to dismiss or uh, redirect. Let's, let's, let's avoid that topic. And asking how simply, how did that make you feel? How was that? You know, trying to explore it, trying to understand, trying to learn, try to understand somebody else, just like you do with your friends, your family, the people that you choose to be around. But if you don't overlook those people, these are moments that you have. If somebody at any point tries to open up to you about any type of traumatic event, or you notice that somebody's going through a hard time, recognize it and embrace it. Because this is your chance to make a difference. You don't need to hold somebody's hand forever, but please try in the moment. Because that moment's there for a reason, and you have an opportunity to truly make a difference for somebody. 
Yeah, and it goes back to it goes back to your story with 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 your mom and what people say. I was, well, you know what? At least you didn't know her, and it it almost seems like like that's. Um, I don't want to put words in in those people's mouths and say that oh they're just trying to avoid it, but it, it's almost like well it's okay at least you didn't know her or well at least you're out now so let's let's just let's focus on the positive, and that's hard when you've literally been through hell. Yeah, it is, and because it's it gives you this oh should I just sweep this under the rug? Yeah. It, is this not a valid way to feel? And when we, and and this goes for everybody, for, for women and for men, it's, should I not talk about this? This is stuff that happened to me. Uh, I don't know how, okay, maybe I should just bottle it up and hide it down. Do, should I not feel comfortable with what's happened to me? Should, can I have a friend? Is that possible? If I have to have a friend, do I have to be somebody else? Do I have to create a new identity? Who am I? These are all things that run through our heads. Last year, I had the chance to talk with Tova Friedman, who is one of the youngest survivors of Auschwitz. And when she and her family moved here to the States, it was exactly that. Well, you survived the Holocaust. You're here now. So why don't we not talk about Hitler and all the things that, that they put you through? You're here and let's move on. And so I'm not sure if that's uniquely American or if that's just a human thing where we seek comfort. And so comfort in the context of being with a survivor who's been through hell on earth Comfort in this context is, well, the easy thing, the most convenient thing is to just not address the elephant in the room. Yeah. Yeah. We, as you, I can't speak from experience or knowledge as far as whether it's a, an American thing or not, but I know that from a human perspective, we like to find the paths of least resistance. Yeah. And, that would be one of them for anybody that's gone through a traumatic event or that their family has. And there's so many different topics that we could touch base on that revolve around that. It's, but don't, don't, especially when it comes down to someone else, get, get out of yourself for a little bit, approach them. If you see somebody they're struggling, you never know. You might save their life. You never know what you might do. Absolutely. And building on what you all are doing with Hands of Justice, let's get a, I don't want to say five-second elevator pitch, but let's get a five-second elevator pitch of what you all are doing for, for uh, human trafficking survivors and overcomers and how you're helping these, these women and men get back on their feet and try and move on after experiencing the worst of humanity. Okay, so hey guys, we're Hands of Justice. We're an, an anti-human trafficking nonprofit where we thrive and survive on helping overcomers and people that have been trafficked reacclimate to everyday life. We help with economic empowerment, re-getting people acclimated to speaking, talking about not just what's happened to them, but to people about everyday life and situations. My man, God bless you. And 
all the things that you and Becca and the team are doing here at, at Hands of Justice. By the way, y'all, the website is handsofjustice.org. No dashes. It's handsofjustice.org. Taylor, thanks for coming by the podcast. Freddie, man, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.